This episode of Fermented Adventure the Podcast is sponsored by Brewskits, handcrafted dog treats made from spent beer grains, oats, barley, and rye. No chemical preservatives, a great source of fiber, and packed with protein. Visit brewskits.com, that's B-R-E-W-S-C-U-I-T-S dot com, to see the full selection of treats for your dog and your cat. Receive 15% off your first order by typing in two important words, Fermented Adventure at checkout. Cheers! Hello, ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings, and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, FA Nation, let's meet our guests. We're here at Cellar Beast Wine House with Karen Kozlowski, Matt Check, and Brian Crew. I'm Rich Shane. Dawn Ranieri's here, and this is Fermented Adventure, the podcast. So Matt and Brian, you were on episode 28 of our Fermented Adventure podcast. So there's a lot of history behind what you've done and how you got into winemaking. We don't really, if you want to listen to that on the podcast, go back and listen to that episode. Karen, you're new to the podcast. This is your absolute first podcast you've ever done. So this will be fun. And you've never listened to a podcast. So you'll listen to this one after it's released. Please. Thank you. No problem. We're here at Cellar Beast Winehouse. And a lot has happened since we talked to you guys last. Mm-hmm. Talk about Cellar Beast, how we got here, and uh, how you guys got that. I'm just, I, there's so many places we're going to go with so many questions. <laughs> well, I guess I'll start it off. Um, over the past was it three or four years now, Karen, that uh, we've always wanted our own thing. So the, the real thing is, is how do you make that happen, uh, especially when you don't have the funds yourself. So um, it's been a lot of time, a lot of thought, and a lot of effort going into building our own project and meeting the right people. Um, you know, luckily we stumbled upon our partners uh, when we were looking at another property as they were looking at it at the same time. That one didn't happen to work out. But so what you're saying is you didn't know the people at the time? No. And you said, hey, we do this, you guys do this, you want to bring bring together forces, right? Exactly. So Very cool. From a financial end, um, they had all of that. And as far as marketing and other facets, they're able to help with those things. Obviously, we bring the wine and cider making end of things together. Um and it just seemed like a good fit. From the first conversation Karen had with uh, our partner Aaron, it just seemed perfect. So the first place didn't pan out, but um, basically at the end of the conclusion of saying, all right, this one's not going to work out, it was, how do we do something together? Um, Karen sent over the, the link to this uh, you know, lovely place that we took over, and uh, by the end of the next week, Aaron and his wife Kim were already checking this place out. And... You know, by the end of what January, we had a bid in for the place, so it all happened quickly in a matter of like two months that we jumped on this and really made this happen. So it, it moved. It, it sounds like it was all very serendipitous mm-hmm. to 
oh, everything absolutely. coming together. I, I guess I have a question. What's the process like when you're looking to, was it specifically a winery you were looking for? Was it a farm you were looking for? Was there a criteria that you were searching for when you were looking? Um, it was like, it was a combination of those things. So obviously it would have been easiest for us to find an existing winery, which we did. Um, but sorry. Um, <laughs> but a farm would have worked as well. Um, starting something from scratch, but ideally we were looking for something that already had a structure, um, yeah. which this, this place did. So that worked out really well. So everything kind of really came together yeah. and you had been looking for three to four years while you're honing your winemaking skills and, and really getting a reputation as phenomenal winemakers, right? Absolutely, yeah. So, you, obviously, you want to be able to have you know, a marketability in that regard that you're known for making quality wine and um, quality ciders for that fact as yeah, well. Yeah, we're going to talk about that because, you know, as, as Dawn and I go, we love cider. So, this will awesome, be, yeah. be a great place. If you're not, I mean, this is the thing. If it's not just cider, you're not just wine you're looking for, you can satisfy somebody else's interest. And wine drinkers may say, oh, this is really good, too. So you have two things to bring people together with. Absolutely. Yeah. And, I mean, the more quality offerings you can have, the more you can appeal to a wider market, uh, which is definitely going to be a, a big thing for us here because a lot of it is an educational focus. Um, we're showing that if you're not typically a cider drinker, you might turn into one after trying some of her lovely creations. Um, and as far as the other way around, too, if you're more of a cider drinker, let's talk about wine a little bit more. Um, and even so so much as the whole sweet wine to dry wine thing. Um, Why'd you look at Brian educate. when you did that? Because <laughs> I'm sweet. Yeah, okay, so exactly. There, you know. There's always that. No, I mean, the, the main thing, I think, what uh, working at the previous place really helped us with was determining that just because someone comes in and says, this is the kind of wine that I like, this is the kind of wine that I want. This is, you know, my style. Doesn't necessarily they doesn't mean they really know what they like or what their style is. A lot of times, it just comes down to your experience. You know, if you've only had one kind of wine, that's all you've had to take away from. Um, if you've stuck with that same brand because you're like, yeah, it wasn't too bad. It's the only brand you know. To that so, point, Brian, isn't it also palate maturation? Maturation. I mean, I can sure. say because I think we all and we we've grown up more. I get. I think unless you're in a wine family or, or parents that really drink wine and no wine and help that experience and help you share that experience. Most of us grow up on sweet wine. Right. And then I think what you were saying is that that's the one thing people gravitate towards. Yeah, so it's the palate yeah. maturation. And, and what we learned, you know, working previously with people is we would say, hey, you know, you like this one, try this one. You like that one, now I'll try this one. And we'd find the progression to get them to try new things. And before you know it, they may realize that what they thought they liked all this time was not, in fact, that. It was just the, the thing that they knew. And that's what I think we, we've been really shining with is showing people to get out of their comfort zone. You may find your next favorite thing. And, you know, it just kind of develops, like you said. It's a, you know, developing your palate, for sure. Now, I love the logo. And talk about the name. How did you come up with the name Seller Beast? Yeah, but you take that one then, Karen, for sure. That was a process. That was a long... Was, was there a lot of wine and a lot of cider conversation over... There were. There was a lot of that. Um, but it was. It became a combination of a couple of different things. Um, so Brian and Matt and their friend Mark um, were doing... They had kind of a little group of winemakers that they were getting together and tasting and talking. I think they did a couple, a couple of videos, videos yeah. and things like that. And I dubbed them the Beast Winemakers. Oh, very cool. Um <laughs> 
And then, Which we jumped all over. For got sure. shirts made, got stickers made, all that shit right away. We were a big fan of that. Um, That's why the bumper sticker said you're following a beast winemaker. <laughs> one of the trucks, right? Yes. <laughs> um, but so then when we started trying to come up with a name for this place, we knew we wanted to incorporate beasts somehow. Um, Cellar Beast sort of sprung from the idea of where we really concentrate our efforts, which is the cellar, um, which is working with the wine and the cider and and trying to, you know, work our hardest in that particular area. But I don't know if you've ever heard the term cellar rat before, which is a pretty common term for someone who works in the wine industry who... You're not necessarily the head winemaker. You're not necessarily the manager of anything. You're just the guy who works cleans in the cellar and cleans everything. everything yeah. and does all those little jobs. Um, I have been a cellar rat for many years, and so this is sort of the grown-up version of the of the cellar rat. We have all become beasts. Taking taking our passion from the cellar and putting it on the table for everybody and sharing that experience in an educational focused style. Because um, that's one of the big things about all three of us as well is that we're all sommeliers through the wine school of Philadelphia. Um, so education is always a big focus for us. And again, that is part of the maturation of the the person's palate is having that knowledge to share with them and not doing it in a pretentious way that the wine world likes to be sometimes. So we'd like to have that more relaxed, educational focused style of tasting and all of it comes from our Somalia styles. Um, but then also the time and effort that we put in the cellar, you know, we are so passionate about the products that we create that we love to be able to share with people. And again, share it in a way that is easily easily enjoyed um, and removes that shroud of pretentiousness that could potentially be there. Because um, we want people to walk away from our tasting and having our products with better understanding of wine in general, um, and cider for that matter, but also understanding exactly why we do the things the way that we do and have them have a greater respect for the product and you know want to come back again. Well, that's the goal. Definitely yeah. one to have them <laughs> come back again. And this is a beautiful... I mean, this... This is gorgeous. Your location's great. You, it looks like from the conversation, Brian was taking us on a little tour where you do your production. Uh-huh. Now, you've got some some vines here, uh-huh. and Brian was saying that these vines are not necessarily, the grapes are not necessarily in the style of the wine you want to produce, uh-huh. but there might be some really creative ways to make cider out of it. Oh, absolutely. So what? take us through that process a little bit. Um, if so, you're allowed. I don't oh, know. Oh, yeah, for yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's all hers. <laughs> um, so, a lot of what was planted when they when they put in this vineyard was Concord. Concord has been a super popular um, American grape for jellies and jams, but you see it a lot in in newer wine regions. Um, it's a really easy wine for people to wrap their head around. And it's sweet. It's sweet. It tastes the way people think grapes are supposed to taste, <laughs> but it doesn't make great wine. Um, so. We, pro- we, we will never be using it for wine. I'll say that. We won't ever be using it for the wine. But using it for cider, um, a lot of my ciders, I focus on other ingredients when I ferment them. Um, basil, whatever fruit is seasonal, peaches, and actually fermenting them with the apples um, to create something a little bit different. So the Concord I would use in the same way. To and there's be- a high sugar content on the Concord grape because of the sweetness. Is that my perception? So there isn't there is a a pretty standard sugar content. All right. To the this Concord. is where we're going to educate me <laughs> and the podcast listener. You can make any wine as sweet or as dry as you want to. Um, what happens is when you when the yeast is introduced to the juice, 
it eats all of that sugar. If you let the yeast eat all of the sugar, there's no sugar left. The wine isn't you have a dry sweet, wine. it's dry. Right. So you could make Concord totally dry if you want to. That tends to not be as appealing for people, so what you can do is either halt the fermentation at some point, so you're left with some residual sugar, or what I think probably most wineries are doing is let the fermentation finish and then add sugar back in to sweeten it. Um, but for the cider, we'll do some co-fermentation with the Concord to make something sparkling and light and fun, but I probably won't back sweeten it because I'm not... I'm not a big fan of Maybe not that, yeah, my ciders right. no. so much. I mean, just let, let the ingredients shine. Yeah. Let the fruit yeah. talk. Yeah, I love that. Now, I'm thinking about as you described those ciders, and my mouth is watering a little bit. So <laughs> I can't wait to try some of these creations. These sound really interesting, tasty, and exciting. Now, we're here at the end of April. We've got one more day until May, and you have not opened yet. Not yet. So... There's a lot of stuff going on. There's painting going on. There's shelving, and you're bringing in things. You, I, I, I love how much you got these tables out here. Mm-hmm. This is really going to be a nice destination spot Absolutely. for people to enjoy. What day do you actually? What day do you open to the public? Or there's a soft opening a little bit for yeah, people so to. We've been doing some special invites for soft openings leading up to, but the public opening is going to be May twenty second. May twenty second. Twenty second. Yeah. What's planned for Saturday, May? 22nd besides making sure you have enough, have enough product on hand what can people expect May 22nd so May 22nd is just going to be kind of more of a free for all but we are opening up our reservation system as well in the next couple of weeks um, so a lot of how this is going to happen is the inside of the tasting room is all reservation and as well as the patio area here um, so hopefully we'll just be booked up all the time and reservations will be fantastic um, but as far as all the lawn seating and all the uh, you know tables and chairs out there that's going to be first come, first serve, so people can still come even without a reservation as well. Um, plus, we are going to be doing a little, a little bit more weatherproofing to this patio area. So on opening day, it's literally going to be like, let's see what happens here and see how crazy busy we get. So um, it's uh, we don't want to dive in too deep and have too much set up for it, so it's more of just an open... All right, let's see what happens. Sort of now, are thing. you bringing in food trucks? What's the? Are you bringing in? Are you guys going to have uh, somebody cooking? What's the plan? So we are planning on having a kitchen um, in the inner room. Oh, I'm so bad at that. Sorry, no, you're I fine. On the table. You're fine. I love. I love um, Matt's. He's over you. He's like yeah. yeah. So in the inner room, before our kitchen is set up, we will allow people to bring food, picnic style. So you know they have stuff while they're here. Um, initially, kitchen we're going to be doing. Once it's set up, cheese, charcuterie, we'll be doing some specials on the weekends. Um, but we will also be doing special events with food trucks. There's okay. a lot of great ones out there. I can be... picture food trucks, live oh, music. Yeah. You've got your kitchen going. Absolutely. You know, maybe a pig roast. I don't know. That's just my vision. Yes. Who knows? Pig roast sounds fantastic. Pig roast and yeah. <laughs> yes. I like pig roast and cider festival. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is going to just take over the world. It sounds like a plan. Yeah. <laughs> what, what's, that, what's, what's that spot in Schwanksville where they do the folk fest or that area? Kutztown? Yeah, Kutztown. Kutztown, yeah. Yeah, this is going to be the cider, the cider, the, you know, the, the, the cellar beast festival. Like, yes. I don't know. We definitely want to have a festival at some point. I mean, we've always toyed around with the idea of um, moving into, like, a natural wine festival because um, we've gone to plenty of them ourselves now. And, I mean, a lot of the focus of what Karen's going to be imparting in our vineyard is transitioning this from an oversprayed chemical vineyard uh, to a biodynamic-focused vineyard. Uh, regenerate the health in this soil. Um, 
their practices previous to us were not that great, so it's going to take a couple of years until we can get the soil converted over. Um, luckily, uh, they did let a lot of the rows die, so we have plenty of room to plant varieties that we want to plant. Um, so, so talk about what, what varieties, <laughs> what, what can you, you know, in the next couple of years, what, what, what grapes could we see being grown here? What's your thought? This is a bigger question for the vineyard manager over here, Karen. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, what I'm getting is, Karen, this is your winery, this is your vineyard, <laughs> and, and these guys are just window dressing. I mean, you you know. They're the faces. Right. Like lift that box. How could you do it without I know. Like, lift, lift that box. This is the look. Because every time I ask a question, it's like, talk to Karen. <laughs> um, we've been doing a lot of research about different grapes to put in the vineyard, and right now we haven't made any concrete decisions about anything. I'm a big proponent of of different hybrid grapes. Um, I think that with the advent of global warming and climate change, it just doesn't seem to me like vinifera has a great future on the East Coast in particular. So I've been researching a lot of hybrid grapes because there's beautiful things like happening on the East Coast with different hybrid wines, um, like really gorgeous stuff and new techniques or old techniques that people are kind of rediscovering to create these wines that I think could be really interesting. And we haven't seen a lot of it in Pennsylvania yet. Um, you see a lot of it down in Maryland, up in Vermont, um, in New York. But I think that it's Pennsylvania's ripe for some, some really interesting um, kind of hybrids and different styles of winemaking. So we are going to be pushing to plant some new things, um, but apple trees as well. We want to get. Oh, very to. cool! Yeah. So you have an sure. orchard here, and yeah. and that'll be a nice complement to the overall landscape and what people can expect when they come into the area. Yeah. Now, we've got some bottles here on the table, and I think to your point, you're going to start creating your own grapes in your own vineyard, but you're going to take the styles and and how you guys focus on making your wines, and and bring that together. So I think what we can start to do is let's talk about your wines and taste through some wines and talk about the process for you there, okay? And when we come back, we're going to be tasting wines at Cellarby's Winehouse. Brewskits, beer, grain, dog bones, brewskits, your dog will go wild. Brewskits, beer, grain, dog bones, a healthy alternative for your pup. Brewskits are all natural and made in the USA. Visit brewskit.com. That's B-R-E-W-S-C-U-I-T.com. <laughs> All right, we're back. We're going to taste some wines, and Brian, you're pouring the first one. Why don't you talk about what that is and what we're trying? This one. Now, I remember before uh, when we tasted with you guys, you, you were a fan of our Sauvignon Blanc, and and I'm still a fan of your Sauvignon Blanc. I mean, I haven't changed, <laughs> I, I by the way. I don't know. I don't know what's happened. <laughs> but this is actually a Roussan Viognier, and uh, this is something that I think you're a Roussan like Viognier. So it's the Viognier grape, and talk about what and, the Roussan grape. And Roussan as well. Thank you. Uh, so you gave me this discern, like, <laughs> I just felt like Dad just looked at me like I just, like, he gave me that look, so thank you. <laughs> but, okay. All right, hold on, hold on. There you go. Matt's already checking in on, on, yeah, he's nosing it. I was making sure it wasn't corked. Right. Okay. <laughs> right. So, first thing I'll mention is, when you think about, like, a Rhone White, have you ever had one of those before? Maybe. Maybe? Okay. Yeah. So a lot of times that's a Roussan Vion or a Roussan uh, Marsan combination, and like these are very expressive, and we we would love to do more Sauvignon Blanc. So we were looking for something that was more floral and expressive, and this definitely lends itself in that in that state. And we had Columbia Valley was where we were sourcing it from before. This is ancient lakes of Columbia Valley, so it's the same 
same thing, but a little bit smaller. So it's a smaller microclimate, yeah, perhaps? Yeah, so it's, uh, what is it, uh, 35 lakes that surround, essentially. Uh, and you have the water influence for temperature moderation. You know, you got the uh, Cascades nearby. So it's, it's a really good spot for something of this nature. So we're going to slide these over here. Here, I'll, I'll grab that. There you go. Okay. Dude, that one could be yours, or this one will be mine. Okay. Or <laughs> I guess we'll we all be, having our own. They'll all be gone. <laughs> no. So... So first things first, let's look at her, very pretty. Smell, and you can already get like that tropical sense, the mm -hmm. floral notes. You get like that waxy fruit, almost like star fruit, a little bit in the nose, and that's that's Viognier talking to you for sure. What? Wax fruit? Star fruit? Oh! <laughs> this is, I, see, one of the things for you, and not, not, for, not for you, but for what you do, and for us to enjoy is the wines that we enjoyed and shared that you've produced the nose the, you've really given Dawn and I, I think a, a, more of an appreciation for the nose of the wine hmm. because they're really incredible nose wines yeah. more so than other things that we had and I, I, I think that's really your, um, your the, the technical creativity or just how well you treat your grapes and making the wine I think that really comes out I mean one of the biggest things from my early years in winemaking was that I found a lot of the wines that were being made by the head winemakers previous to me at my last place was the wines were, white wines in specific and the rosés were very dull, um, especially in the nose. I mean, sometimes it, you didn't even have a nose and I was like, well, how the heck do we change that? And, you know, we made a lot of changes in our practices and you do have to coddle your white wines during fermentation because you're controlling your temperatures more and there's a a lot more to pay attention to, but once you get through that primary fermentation and you've created the nose, you've created the palate now, all you have to do is take care of it as far as, you know, get it into a safe place. So, you know, white wines are very intensive for the first month or so, but after that, once you have the, created that nose and that palate already, you're good to go. Um, red wines are the ones where you get a little bit more um, fun and nuance from being in the barrel for, you know, a year or so. Um, so, you know, white wines, it's all about creating the complexity both from the nose and the aroma all the way down to the palate and the finish. Um, if you lose any one of those aspects, you immediately understand that that wine now is not full. Um, and if you don't have a full experience with your wine, then the customer is going to feel that as well. Um, you know, yes, for me, I might experience wine on a, on a deeper level from some facts, but again, we want to open that up to the consumer so that they understand all those levels from looking at your color of your wine, for smelling it, to tasting it, and giving you that full experience. So if any one of our wines isn't giving you a full experience, then we're missing our mark. Because um, I can talk about it all day, but the wine still has to talk, too. One of the things I get off the color is it looks like, I mean, I'm looking at all this wood that still hasn't been incorporated. So, But it looks like this like lumber like or this unfinished pine mm -hmm. it, it's got this nice light it almost is like it could be darker it could be lighter but it just sets in at that unfinished pine look yeah just a, a very slightly like golden thing yeah that's a, that that a good great thing. All right, good. <laughs> yeah I like that one that <laughs> was really good <laughs> and the nose it, as even as I you know nose it it, it, it it almost subtly changes like there's a citrus note to it mm -hmm. um, and, and it just kind of meanders a little bit. Oh yeah, I mean you could, this is definitely one of those wines which it's always good when a white wine makes you sit there and smell it many times yeah. before you even go to taste it. That's how you know you have something going on nice and complex. It smells like the summertime. Yeah, there's a lot of floral notes there, a little bit of honeysuckle. That's funny because I just got honeysuckle right on the mouthfeel. Mm -hmm. 
that power of suggestion, you did it to me again. <laughs> well, that's the fun thing about Viognier is it's known for having a little bit more body than most of your white wine grapes. Um, so it definitely gives you a little bit of that fuller, uh, fuller feel on the palate, which is, I think, wonderful. But it's still enough acidity there that it's bright. Mm -hmm. And it's, yeah, sit out on the porch on a nice sunny day. You're not going to be <laughs> unhappy with this bottle in your glass. Even a rainy day. A nice, nice yeah. rainy day out in the vineyard. It's humid. It's warm. So. <laughs> what does this pair with? Good question. What do we pair with? I mean, this is, it's so bright this is goat and, cheese for and me. racy. I mean, you're talking your... Your oysters, oh, any kind yeah. of shellfish. When Bad Mother Shuckers comes oh, here for this food is trucks. the wine. Bad yes. yes. Mother Shuckers is awesome. Oh, yes. yes. When they come here for the food truck, this will be one of the top ones that we'll be drinking Absolutely. with them. Yeah, especially at the end of the night where we clean up the rest of the roasters for them. <laughs> because this is so bright and has such high acid, like this is your wine that's going to go well with any like heavier food. Like think like fried chicken, think anything off of the grill, um, scallops. Yeah. You know, yeah. like yeah, I wouldn't go into I wouldn't go in like steaks, back. but maybe yeah. even like a nice you, you could do this with a pork like a pork loin oh, oh yeah that yeah, would go absolutely. very well with that yeah um and because maybe it's just me right now i want to have everything with a wood-fired pizza because <laughs> <laughs> all but we i was telling you we well, the previous podcast we did with auburn road vineyard and they do wood-fired pizzas oh nice and i'm like all, all i'm like i'm dying to have like now this wine with a wood-fired pizza, maybe a little goat cheese, like a white... I was thinking goat cheese, artichoke hearts. Yeah, no, yeah. keep going. Don't stop. <laughs> <laughs> that, so how cheese? do we make that happen? Uh, what was that one we got recommended? Um, Kunick. Oh, that crazy cheese, Kunick yeah. Cheese. All right, yeah. I don't know Kunick cheese. They have it at Wegmans right now. They have Wegmans. <laughs> All right, <laughs> All right we'll, we'll, we'll pick up some Kunick cheese on the way back when we come for your uh, one of the tastings that yeah. you're doing. There you go. See, here's the thing, and I hope people really um, will resonate with this, that this is almost, you're, you're meeting a winery in its infancy stage, yeah. but you guys are bringing a master winemaking experience, education to that. Mm -hmm. So you're really starting at a higher pinnacle. And when people come here, it's really going to be about meet the winemaker, meet the cider maker, where a lot of you're gonna get a lot of education and yeah. you're gonna have a lot of quality ones yeah, absolutely and I, I I don't want to discount you know that the, the Pennsylvania winemaking side of things because there are you're on the Lehigh Valley wine trail or what what is it well right now it could be part of the Lehigh Valley wine trail uh, yes. if we chose to um, so that's it's more of a, a marketing play when they use the Lehigh Valley wine trail um, but it's it's supposed to, you know, help connect all the... Well, it brings... So. If I say, you know, Dawn and I say, let's go out and do the wine trail, it... it yeah, kind, yeah, we're definitely right. part of that. So now. when you come off of the turnpike, you know, where we came off of, yep. there were at least, I think, two or three wineries yep. that, hey, it's not just a destination, and Eight Oaks is not that far from here. Correct. Oh, yeah. Eight Oaks Distillery. Yeah, 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 Eight Oaks is fantastic. So what this becomes is a little bit... Uh, it's a nice day trip. Enjoy yeah. wine. Yep. Enjoy spirits. Um, and and enjoy cider and really you know have a have a nice time up here especially yeah. in fall you know foliage season during the summer it's going to be cooler climate a lot of the mm -hmm. vacationers come up to the area get a good amount of wind up here too so it's going to cool off those summer days for us up this way that'd be awesome um, but it's yeah, it's like your own little triangle up here between 
us, Galen Glen, and then Eight Oaks. You can make a whole afternoon out of just the three places, and we're all within ten minutes of each other. Um, and Galen Glen is making phenomenal wine as well. So it's nice to be close to Galen Glen, and, and of course, Eight Oaks is pumping out quality product. Plus, they have food now, too, with yeah. a trade locally sourced at their location now, which yeah. we went just last, was it last week or the week before? Two weeks ago, we went and brought some of our wines over for them, and, you know. Yeah. They let us taste some cool stuff they're working on. Yeah, you know? they actually have a tequila now. Yeah, yeah the agave. Yeah. Well, you can't call it tequila. It's an agave spirit. A tequila style. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Who created? Talk about this. Is an, I love the logo. It's it's like the goat serpent. It's got a lot of stuff goat going serpent, on there. Goat yeah. serpent. Goat dragon. serpent. Goat serpent. <laughs> goat yeah. I mean, this is uh, you know Karen's vision, uh, and then. My buddy uh, Dan Johnson of Artistic Knack Art. Uh, he's on uh, Instagram as at Artistic Knack. Uh, but that guy actually did a lot of hard work for us on this. A lot of back and uh, forth. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, but it's just, you know, the two of them kind of combining on this vision and uh, came out beautifully. Uh, I love it. Yeah, I I gave him a a terrible sketch of what I wanted, (laughs) and he we walked through it um, on Zoom (laughs) together, and he, I mean, he made it look exactly the way it looked in my head. (laughs) So I was super happy with it. So he's also a good sketch artist if they're trying to find a criminal. (laughs) Okay, if you want him to look cool, yeah. See, this is a kind of, I think what I want people to understand is in meeting you guys and getting to know, uh, this is what you could expect. You're down to earth, you're fun, you really love to talk wine. Absolutely. And just enjoy yourselves. Yeah. You really can, this is a place for you to come and enjoy your craft, hone your skills even further, and and just really bring uh, this experience to the consumer, which I love. Absolutely. Now, Rosé, I guess, is going to be next. Mm-hmm. All right. And, and, and one of the things is, I think this comes from, you know, for your experiences, that you love doing rosés, right? No? <laughs> oh, Mr. my Provence God. himself. <laughs> I do, yeah. If we go to the, the liquor store, you can guarantee at least one rosé is in his cart. That's not true. There was one day that I went that I did not get a rosé. <laughs> because they were out of it. <laughs> <laughs> no. They didn't have you, any of the ones You searched wanted. high and low, but no rosé for you. I did. Um, but no, love we love rosé. We love rosé. Yeah. The, main, the main thing with rosé, though, is want to get something out of it that's expressive. You don't want it to be boring. And um, we've succeeded quite a bit with not making boring ones. Uh, Matt loves Cabernet Franc, and we've made rosé from that for, what, two years now? Yeah. Two Two vintages. Two vintages, and now we'll be going on a third. Yes. But to hold us over, this is a blend that you're having right now, which I won't give it away just yet. You're not going to give it away just not yet? I'm not going to give it away just yet. Let's Are taste it. Ever? Them. Oh, we're going to taste oh, it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Color <laughs> yeah. Nobody gets Nobody to know. Nobody gets to know. <laughs> For some reason on the nose, I don't know what popped in my head, like lychee fruit. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. All day. Yeah. Um, and I don't know why I want to say kumquat, other than I just think it sounds it's fun, fun right now. We just like saying it, yeah. But there's no. Cum- <laughs> had to get that into the podcast. I don't know why. I said it going on the way. I got to work kumquat into the into the podcast. It's a little suffocated kumquat. There's an earthy. There's like an earthiness to this, um, but not. But it's not grassiness. It's not earthiness. Go ahead, give it to me. You're holding it. Out. Are you thinking like bloody deer? No. <laughs> no, I really wasn't. You're thinking meat? We're all thinking No, meat I was thinking... <laughs> yeah. No. What? <laughs> Smell it. Bloody deer. It's there. What, in, what I envisioned in my mind was 
the, the more the stem of the raspberry, the the green of the raspberry, like a bramble quality. Bramble. We're bringing so bramble, bramble showed up twice on the podcast yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, bramble. No, it, it's it, it's more of like if you if you it's not. Forget it. <laughs> so talk about it, Brian. You 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 can bring that to us now. So this. This is where you get something out of a rosé that's really nice. And and a lot of people will say, like, oh, I don't drink rosé. I'm a red wine guy. What does that mean? (laughs) Or a white wine. No, but it's right. Look, I think to your point, and I think this is one of the things that you get to really introduce in a way, is that rosés really have not been popular. And a lot of times when you consider a rosé of the past, it's been... We just need to we need we need to fix this, yeah. or yes. we just need to get something on the shelf, right. right? Yeah, you know we got some stuff left over. Right, let's it, just do this. It used to be such an afterthought for a lot of wineries, where it was like, oh, we have these leftover grapes, so we'll just make a rosé from them, just so we can have a cheaper product that we can put on the shelves, yeah. and it'll probably appeal to some people. We'll put some sugar into it, and yeah. then it'll be one of our sweet wine offerings. But you know, over the past five years, I'd say it's really become a much more serious style of wine, um, especially if you look at. You know any liquor store now? They have a whole like section that's dedicated. Except to for Brian, they shut it down. <laughs> I clean them out every time. <laughs> but yeah, so it's it's definitely more of a serious drink now, and um, I think the market has grown to know a more quality rosé as compared to what you know what I remember seeing as a child at all the family gatherings. You know that lovely white Zinfandel oh, from like Sutter Home or something. Yeah, we've all it's, been there. It's a far cry from those days now. Um, wine is again complexity. From the nose to the palate to the finish, it offers you something different all the way along and makes you think, as all good wine should, should make you think about it and really understand that there's something cool happening in that glass. I think something like this, if you entertain a lot and with all that's come out of our last year, starting to get back to being social, yeah. if you want to really introduce something to your friends that they may not be used to drinking... You're going to show up with this, mm-hmm. and you're going to share a really nice bottle of wine, almost like you stand out as you're, you know, you're leading some sort of a um, like revolution. You're leading a revolution. <laughs> that, but but here's the thing: you mentioned Sutter Home and the White Zin. I mean, for you know, you didn't go anywhere at a time before where a restaurant or people weren't showing up with white zin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was it was I like mean, Bartles and James, white, yeah. you know, Sutter Home. It was like there. That I mean, was you, of the you time. You have to give the credit to Sutter Home and them with, with the you know invention of white zins. They actually brought the American consumer back to drinking more wine. You're right. Um, so it was huge in that regard. And luckily everybody, well, not everybody, a good majority of wine drinkers have graduated past that in time. Um, again, that's the maturation of the American palate. The biggest hurdle to get over with the American palate is that comfortability level of drinking the same thing that they know rather than exploring, which is one of the things we always urge people is, all right, you like this one? Now go try another one because it's there's, what, 10,000 different wines just in Italy alone? So that's just one region. We talk about the whole world. There's thousands and thousands and thousands of wines that you need to try. Where I think it's really unique when you're going to come here, you're going to get that experience. Mm-hmm. Where, hey, just try a glass and see if there's some sort of opportunity for you to appreciate mm-hmm. and have something become more of your daily drinker yeah. or you know, festive occasion glass of wine. I've been enjoying the, the flavor on this and one of the things that came to me real fast 
a lot of times you drink a wine and you get the dryness that finishes, mm -hmm. right? Maybe the tannins mm -hmm. in the wine. Yep. I get dry first and sweet last. It flips. Yeah. This that one, is so cool. Yeah, absolutely. It kind of <laughs> yeah. it kind of introduces a little bit of a bitter dry quality up front, but then it just quenches as it hits the back through the mid to the finish in the back. Yeah. Which is really I mean fun. there's like and and as it lingers at the end, there's this fruit that's yeah. there and you're going to tell me what this fruit is and I'm going to go, "Oh yeah, that's what that fruit is." <laughs> So it's Cabernet Sauvignon right. by 40%, 25% Merlot, 25% Syrah, 5% Grenache, and 5% Cabernet Franc. So a yeah. lot going on there. There is a lot going on there. <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to taste it and like well, it's like when you drink a bourbon. You know, you're looking for if it's a weeded bourbon, you're looking for the barley, you're looking for the corn, yeah. if there's a rye in there. You can definitely meander through that. To your point, Brian, I mean, you're talking about all these different grapes. Now, I'm not sophisticated. I will never tell you, oh, yeah, I, I, I got the Grenache right there. And, um, <laughs> you know, I, that's not going to happen. Either one of us. But <laughs> I can more adapt or more attribute to what is the fruit flavor mm -hmm. or what is it more that I'm, I'm tasting on that. Well, you know, when... When, I mean, when you're on the nose, you got that right away with uh, the lychee fruit. But there's also like uh, golden raspberry things going on here, both in the palate and in the aroma. Um, but I still enjoy the little bit of the greenness, the herb quality, which is, again, you're getting a little bit of that Grenache, as you kind of alluded to not being able to notice the Grenache. But there is an herbal quality that kind of hangs out underneath the fruit qualities, um, which I think, it, again, lends to the complexity of the rosé itself. Um, but as far as the additional fruits there... I mean, kind of pick. It's it's almost like a mixed berry pie as far as everything that's in there, just not as jammy. <laughs> I will say, and I really want you guys to understand, you haven't missed a step. You have, even though it's a new location for you and a new experience, new adventure, new journey. Yeah. I would say the first two wines haven't missed a step. Yeah. You really haven't, and if not anything else, you've upped your game. <laughs> well, that's the one thing that we're we're starting to learn here is that we're getting to have more of the control ourselves now, uh, which is been one of the most liberating things for all of us right. i believe yeah. um so now we have all creative control all choices to what we want to do um so you're going to see even more a, a passionate showing of what we can do um, which is definitely lending to the freedom in our winemaking style that you know we might have been handicapped a bit in the past it happens though right yeah, yeah. i mean you're following someone else's vision right you know yeah. exactly. the, the person that went to work for the wright brothers after they flew they probably were very you know, on top of them and say, you know, no, that's not our style yeah. for flying. Sure. That's not what the next airplane's going to look like. I mean, even Tesla, when he worked for Einstein, Einstein told him, hey, most of your stuff, it doesn't work. <laughs> you know, he really, that's why he went out on his own. Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. Because he needed that space Absolutely. to really expose himself to learning, but really be able to do the things that are creatively in their mind. And that's yeah. life, right? Yeah. You grow to a certain point and you, you feel that time when it's right. necessary and you need to make that change for your own personal growth, but also for the growth as a team. Because, you know, we have a solid core of people and we work so well together that, you know, this feels perfect <laughs> in, in that regard. And the way that we're going to be able to grow from here is going to be fantastic. I mean, it's... You know, sky's the limit. I love that. I, I, and there's an excitement here. There's a vibe here that it's already being given off, which I can sense. Now, you have some things, though, that you're going to bring the public in to do. Yes. What so, are you going to have the public do with you? 
So like we we've, we've done you know custom winemaking before, uh, working with the public. Uh, this is going to be a, a little bit more private in the sense that it's going to be a very small, select amount of people that we're going to allow to do it with us. Um, most of that's having to do with you know time. It's just the, the three of us running this right now, and also space. We don't. <laughs> I know you like this. <laughs> Sorry, I'm listening to you and I'm nosing. That's, that's the biggest mistake because now I'm going to nose. Forget everything I was. I saying. just I just realized wine foreplay. Wow. Yeah, that's what that just was. Just wine foreplay. You know what that means? So you got to come back around too because you don't just stop at that part of the foreplay. You got to keep going around. <laughs> That's for a different podcast. We'll talk about that later. You know what's funny? Everybody just looked at you with their mouth open, wondering where you were going with it. So, that's what I bring to the table. Thank you. I'm going to forget where I am again. But no, uh, so we are going to take on uh, making wine for people uh, as well here. Now, now, making wine, mm-hmm. what does that mean? Do I get to say, these are the grapes, I w- this is the juice, this so, is how I want to talk about that? Yep. So ahead of time, already now, what are we, how many months away? Like we're... Three yeah. months, four months away. Yeah. From harvest. We have already selected where we're getting our grapes from, who we're getting them from specifically, and locking down contracts with them. Yeah. Um, we're not leaving anything up to chance. Yeah, and we are locking down the highest quality fruit that we right. can get our hands on. That's... So obviously one of our big focuses right. is quality. Some, <laughs> some of the spots we were handicapped in previous where we said we want to get this fruit and there was obstacles, you know, with people not sharing the same vision. Here, we just went for it. Yeah. So, for instance, Pinot Noir from Miola Amity Hills, Oregon. Yeah. Went for it. That's what we're bringing in. So, and that's what we're, we're trying now? Right now we're on Canaro's uh, Napa Valley. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This one's a, a special Pinot Noir. And, it does, and, and actually it's right on the label too. Correct. God, um, that label, the, the again, the logo really shines on the label. I love oh, it. Oh, yeah. So when you, you know, when you see that on the shelf somewhere, you're going to know what that is. Oh, for sure, yeah. You can't miss our brand. But, but yeah, so we are going to bring in all this high-quality fruit, you know, that we have selected carefully and then allow some people to make wine with us in the sense that, you know, you pay, you make the wine with us. It's still going to be cheaper than yeah, it would be. Paying's important. I mean, to a point. <laughs> no, it's very important. Uh, so, yeah, people will pay to make wine with us. So the beauty of this is you, you get this fruit that you know is going to be great. We're going to be making the wine. You're a part of the process. Now, it's not going to be so much as that you're a part of every step of the process. It's just you're a part of the process a bit because you're still having us craft you the best possible wine that you could desire. And whether you're doing this for, you know, your restaurant or you're doing this for, you know, just your private reserve at home that you want to share when you have your friends over. Yeah, bragging That's, rights. Yeah. yeah, bragging rights. You know, you bring, you bring up a great observation or an opportunity. You know, again, you can have um, barrel select picks that, you know, from, a, from a, a whiskey provider or rum provider, you can really contract to doing that. Here you're doing your own select pick on your wine, yep. right? Yeah, well, we, not only that, but they're also getting to pick which barrel. Yeah, what like type of barrel. So that's this is like the highest level of customizing your wine. Yeah, you, you want to get this high quality barrel in. That's what we're gonna do. Yeah, you know, you, we're gonna make labels similar to these the uh, quality of the labels that we have in our bottles. I think this is very interesting, very exciting. Is is there an idea of how many? Bottles I would be getting to have you thought through that if yes. I did that? Yeah, take so, that. so 
the one thing that we found cumbersome in the past when we've done this type of program is that um, the more smaller parcels that you allow, the more of a headache and more cumbersome it becomes. Yeah, because somebody says, I just want two or three bottles, right? I just, or maybe a case and I'm happy, right? (laughs) Yeah. So really what we want is the people that are definitely more um, serious about it. Um, Because the quality of grapes that we're going to be sourcing demand a seriousness behind wanting to be a part of one of these projects. Um, So, you know, minimum level typically for us is going to be a full barrel of wine. Full barrel of wine equates to about 280 bottles of wine. So... That's a good night for us, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah, well, the good thing is, is these wines, when we produce them for you, it's going to take, you know, about a year and a half for it to get to its full potential. If we're talking about a Cab Sav, probably around, you know, 12 to 16 months of maturation in barrel. And then once it's in your bottle, these are serious wines that are going to need their time to develop in the bottle, too. So, you know, rule of thumb. So you may be three or four years out to crack that before you crack that bottle? I would say easily two to two two and a half years before you should start thinking about really drinking it. Um, But these wines and what we've seen with wines we've produced from similar quality grapes or even lesser quality grapes is that really they start hitting their stride around year three or four or even five. Um, So this, having that quantity of wine allows you to see the development of your wine in bottle over a long period of time. Um, So you really can catch your wine at its highest peak and taste that quality. And really, you could fill up your whole house with wine if you keep making wine with us. <laughs> so, Karen, yeah. is this something you'd be doing for cider, too? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. I mean, it's something that I could see us doing in the future, but not probably not until, like, year three or four. Okay. Um, space issues yeah. and equipment issues kind of stand in the way of that yeah. becoming becoming an option. No, all right, so this could be a vision down the road, but For not sure. right now yeah. you understand where you're going, the time frames as to yeah. when you want to hit that mark. Yeah. And what you can introduce to the public in the future. Yeah, and we're we're absolutely yeah. only introducing the idea of this custom winemaking to a very limited amount of people. Well um, for two hundred and eighty bottles. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's funny. We you know have people knocking on the door already that want to do these things from our previous uh, winemaking endeavors. So, you know, that's it's more of a how much room do we have? <laughs> because we have our certain level of production that we need to meet in order to hit the quantity of sales that we project. Um, and then on top of that, it's like how many other barrels can we squeeze into yeah, our production room? Squeeze? <laughs> squeeze is the key word. Yeah, yeah was, we're already at a you know almost capacity as far as. Uh, available space to do things so you know in the in the works already is an addition for our production so that we can have a separate barrel room that also will double as a fermentation space for harvest season uh, because that will definitely be needed um, as we see with all the all the inventory we already have we're packed to the gills so we better sell a lot of our wine this summer (laughs) so talk about i mean we're going to talk about the pinot right now you have three you have three expressions that you're offering and how many are there total right now? So this is just a sneak preview we gave you. Right. We want to give you some of the contrast here. Uh, but we have, it's going to be eight. Eight total. So yeah. May 22nd, the public can come and you're going to have an opportunity to buy eight different kinds of wine. Yes. 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 That's awesome. Yeah. Yep. Five more we don't even know about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fine, two, keep it that way. All right. two very, very good ones that nobody really is even having a snapshot of yet. Nope. Okay. Um, but... If you like your bubbly style of things, uh, yeah, just wait for those. What do you have for sweet? Hmm. Well, oh, should I say? <laughs> <laughs> Go for it, Sean. Okay, so 
for those who do like sweet, um, we can introduce you to a Riesling that's also from Asian Lakes of uh, Columbia Valley. And uh, I'm not going to say it's sweet, but I'm going to say it will, you know, tickle your fancy. Is that the, the term, I think? Yeah, yeah. And I think even, even the rosé and, and the Riesling specifically, they're built to be more fruit forward right. without being sweet. Because um, that's the one thing that we want to do is make, not make, but introduce the idea that your wine doesn't need to be sweet in order to give you that feeling of, oh, it's comfortable on my palate. Yeah. And a lot of that, again, lends to the making sure that in our winemaking processes that the wines have hit an equilibrium. Anytime a wine is out of whack, you feel it on your palate, um, especially if you're looking for that sweet tone. Um, so with that reasoning, I mean, the first thing you smell, it almost evokes a sweet character. Then once it hits the palate, it's juicy. It quenches kind of like how the rosé did. Um, so that's what we're really looking for is to evoke sweet without it actually having the residual sugar that says, hey, I'm a sweet wine. You're going to love this. It's like, no, I want you to understand that wine doesn't need to be full sugared up uh, for it to evoke that feeling of sweetness to you. So I, I think if, if that comes through... The wines that you're producing will be more fruit characteristically forward, not residual sugar forward, Correct. right? Yes. Absolutely. And that's what, all in all, gives you the complexity and so much of the flavor profile of your wines. Absolutely. Because what happens is if, if you think about coating your tongue with sugar, it really deadens what you're going to experience in the mouth after that. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. You know, think about, I mean, I just think about something so viscous. And so heavy. Yeah. Do me a favor. Talk about this Pinot before Matt finishes it. <laughs> or I I'm already under my second sample of it. If you no work being sample. done after today. <laughs> it's a rainy day. It's a good day for a nap. Um, so, of course, uh, everybody in, in that's even slightly interested in wine, or maybe even not, knows Napa Valley. Um, so this is actually from the subregion Caneros of Napa Valley. And this is a fantastic, fantastic Pinot Noir. In every sense of the word, it provokes the rose and dark fruit characteristics that you should have, but also that earthy component that Pinot Noirs are hailed for, um, and they carry both from the aroma to the palate. Um, Pinot Noir is a passion project that we haven't really been able to fully explore in our previous uh, winemaking endeavors, um, but that's why one of the first contracts we locked down this year was Eola Amity Hills, Willamette, Oregon, one of the top three regions for growing Pinot Noir in the United States. So um, this one in specific, though, is just a perfect fit for setting people up for what we're going to be producing, essentially. Um, and that's why you have it here in your This house. is, and, and one of the fun things I get in here, and this is my experience, I get this cayenne note without the heat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. I gotcha. I, I, it's like my mouth tastes cayenne, but then there's not that burn sensation on that. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> no, but but that's the fun there. That yeah. There's this little sliver of it finishes and it kind of lingers that I'm enjoying. What I what I like is that the earthiness in yeah. this is very present, but it still smells pretty. Mm -hmm. Whereas a lot of times when I've had a, a Pinot Noir, I've been like, this smells really really pretty. Where it's there. missing that earthy component. Like it, it's missing something to kind of anchor it, and I just feel like it's it. 
not that it's going to be sweet, but it's just going to be like drinking roses, essentially. Yeah. And I don't, I didn't want to do that, but like something like this, it's a good balance, I think. I think people who like the prettier version and people like the earthier version will come together on yeah. this one. For and, sure. and the barrel still talks here too, because yeah. you do get a little bit of like that sweet vanilla thing. Yeah, in, and, 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 it, and it, you do get a little bit of that barrel that lingers at the end. Absolutely. Yeah. Without feeling like you just drank a barrel. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And Pinot Noirs can get lost in, in barrel too too often in some wine styles as far as Pinot Noir making. Um, for us, Pinot Noir is a labor of love, just like Chardonnay is, where you have to pay attention the whole time it's in barrel and literally every week be tasting it because it is such a delicate grape. Like shucks. Yeah. <laughs> shucks. We have to taste it again. Um, but if you go too far, as far as barrel component in uh, Pinot Noir, you can lose the delicate nature out. of it, and yeah. next thing you know, you have basically wood water. <laughs> Who wants that? <laughs> when you open, you're going to have eight different wines. Mm-hmm. Karen, how many ciders? Oh, so many ciders. Uh, so many ciders. So many ciders. Uh, I think by the time we open, it'll probably be five. Okay. Um, they're all going through secondary in bottle right now, so it's just a question of... When they finish. Yeah. So by the time we open, there should be five different ciders in bottle. Any sneak previews on the ciders that people can expect to enjoy? No. No. It's all going to be secrets till the day of. (laughs) Okay. Um, (laughs) Because I'm, like, excited to hype one up myself, but (laughs) okay, okay, fine. (laughs) No, um, there may, may be a keg of an experimental that I did next weekend, but I'm still unsure whether or not I'm going to let people taste it. Okay. So I've been doing I'd larger drink it batches. All myself, honestly, right? but, you know. <laughs> I've been doing larger batches um, that are all going into bottle, and then I always hold some of the juice aside to experiment and do strange things with and see what comes of it. And one experiment in particular turned out exceptionally well. So I'm going to keg that and have it for people to be able to buy by the glass. And then someday it will become part of the larger production. How did you get into cider making? I actually got into cider making when I was living in the Midwest. I moved out there. At the time, I owned my own soap company. So I was doing craft shows and selling online, and I got a job in a tasting room. It was in southern Illinois on the uh, Shawnee Hills Wine Trail. And I got it on the weekends just to supplement. And... I mean, I'd loved wine forever. I'd been involved in serving for forever, and this just added another aspect to it. I just so happened to be there, the right place, the right time at harvest. The owner didn't have anyone to help. I knew nobody and had no family or anything going on, so I was like, yeah, I'll help, and I never looked back. <laughs> so. so it was almost the right, as you said, right place, right, right place, time. Right time. And had you not gotten into a least cider, it could be the soap world that you're taking over. It could have been, sure, but I turned my back on soap for alcohol. <laughs> She's never eaten Dr. Squatch's soap. That That's accurate. <laughs> Is that something people do, Brian? I don't know. Okay. I don't know what people do. I don't presume to know what they do. <laughs> I have a question. Uh-oh. Because I have a selfish nature about me. There's a certain red pepper kind of wine. Uh. <laughs> will it find its way to Cellar Beast in a way, or will it be a different version of that specific wine? Yes. Yes, okay. I mean, the passion is baby. still there for it, so yes, it will yeah. be. Okay. It will be here. The biggest thing is, is um, there's not a lot of people growing 
that specific grape of my love. <laughs> but which is Carmenere, right? That beast of a grape that I love so much. The the hard part has been is actually finding a vineyard that's producing enough of it um, for us to grab up. But also we are being very stringent about where we're trying to get our grapes from. Um, a lot of our Bordeaux varieties, we're looking at Red Mountain, and actually we've contracted for everything but Carmenere uh, from Red Mountain right now. So we're searching high and low to get somebody that's going to be able to produce the quality level Carmenere that we want so that we can produce the highest quality Carmenere we've ever made. Um, so yes, it will be back. It's just a matter of finding the right source for it at this point still. It's the only hole in our production uh, catalog for harvest right now, but we will find our right place and it will be on our list eventually. Confirmed up everything else. (laughs) Is there anything that we haven't touched on that we may have missed in the podcast that you want to make sure that the listener knows about or hears about regarding Seller Beast or a lot of what you're doing now? I mean, I just think it's important for people to know. I mean, obviously through this podcast, they're going to know that we're all very passionate about what we do and we're really excited for people to come. But for us, it's, it's so much about the education, but it's also about having a really good time. Like, we want people to be comfortable when they come. Yes. We want them to have a lot of fun and drink really great stuff and learn really cool things and want to come back and hang out with us all the time. Well, and that's going to be the cool thing with the hands-on tasting experience that we're giving people is that, you know, it might they might get Brian the first time they're here. Sorry. (laughs) But they might get Karen or or me the next time and so forth. So, you know, each time you're going to be pulling, you know, knowledge from each one of our brains. And, you know, even the people that in previous, uh, you know, wine experiences as far as teaching people or, you know, tasting people on things, every time at the end I'm used to people saying, I learned more. How do I keep learning more from you every time I'm here? I feel the same way. I mean, honestly, I feel the same way. I, I think if Dawn and I were to do, like, this meet the winemaker segment, and really sit down and enjoy and help share our experience. I learn so much more when I get to when I get to sit down with you. It makes me appreciate wine more. Why wouldn't somebody want that experience? Yeah. And let's face it, you're not doing I mean, you guys spend a lot of money into your education and you spend a lot of money <laughs> drinking other wine to educate yes. yourself. Why wouldn't you wanna take it you know, why wouldn't you want to take that opportunity to sit down with you and Look, wine's wine. I mean, it's grapes. It's, mm-hmm. but but there's it's, there's so much that goes into that. Yeah. Why wouldn't you want to, if you're gonna like look if you're gonna drink good cider, you want to learn good cider. If you're gonna drink good mead, you want to go. If you're gonna drink beer, you know you want to learn good beer. If that's something you're interested in. Yeah. This is an opportunity to really hone your you know understanding, and you can appreciate a bottle of wine more. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. yeah, and at the end of the day, when people are done. With their tasting, we want them to be able to walk away with a better and drive away. That too, yes. um, which we are very, very stringent about watching out for those VIPs because, of course, you're up in the sticks here. You know, you got to be able to drive those curvy back roads on There's your way. There's no Uber up here. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but really, the the thing that I, I I really want people to be able to do is walk away with a better understanding, not only of our wines but of the wine world in general. Um, I want them to have a little bit more of a comfortability level when they go to the wine and spirit store that we shared a little bit of knowledge about Chablis or a little bit of knowledge about Sancerre. You know, some of our favorite regions that have made us love wine even more, um, but wine regions in general across the world because I want them to not go into this state store and find their apothic red and just walk out with it. 
I want them to go in there and be crazy like me, spend two to three hours in there trying to find what they want. I mean, that's there's so much fun wine out there that if you don't explore it, you'll never know it. And we want people to have that comfortability level to want to explore it. I don't want you to just buy cases of well, wine. Well, I would every say week. to you, Matt, <laughs> to the point, if you want to try fun wine and really explore, come here first. Mm-hmm. Get yes. that education. I mean, come I, here I, first, and we'll set you up with it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and, and I think, like I said, for me and Dawn, I mean, this is the way that we better understand and appreciate the things that we get to enjoy for us. So. May 22nd, you open. Yes. The public can now, in, 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 and I see there's a lot of work left to do. <laughs> I really do. Um, but I can't wait to come back and see all what you've now created. I'm excited for you. Thank you. The first thing, that, you. you know, in, in hearing through this podcast, I feel like we met you, you know, when you, when you know, right now it's the NFL draft, right? <laughs> and you recognize talent in a player. And you want, obviously, if the team's going to pay a lot of money and pick you at a high point, you want them to pan out. Yeah, sure. You guys, together, collectively, have panned out. And now you're in that second contract season now, (laughs) where you get to really shine. Yeah. You get to take your skills, you know the playbook, you have your connections, you have those understandings of space, and you have your own space to do it in. Yeah, yeah. This is awesome. Absolutely. It's very, very exciting and a lot of work as we've all have been dealing with for the past two months. But it's all work that you're like, hell yes, let's do it. Let's spend 70 hours this week busting our ass, you know. But it's worth it because it's our vision now, yeah. um, which is the big thing, I think. The really exciting part, too, is being able to introduce people to the wines the way that we wanted to do it from the start. Yeah. With the names we wanted to use from the start, you know, with the... Uh, you know, being able to put your vision out there for people without having anything block your way. And, like, great example is, like, his Dark Angel, you know. Oh, that's one we're not supposed to know about, but now we do? We do. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) There's Dark Angel, there's Midnight Archer, my Bordeaux style. And these are things that, like, couldn't quite be done to the the length that we want to do them. Yeah. But now we can. And, like, having that creative influence is huge. And the Besides cider, you know, you want to talk about natural wine and more interesting styles of wine. I never would have even touched them because I'm I'm very French styled as far as my winemaking. But this one here is taking me Karen. down a natural wine world. Yeah, Karen has taken me down. Realize that most of France is inherently yeah. natural wine. Not most of it. Not really. All the good parts. <laughs> yeah, the good Tune in <laughs> to the podcast episode next, where we have the Karen Matt Rumble. <laughs> Natural wine. Oh, we definitely, we definitely do that. But here's what's going to happen, and this is what I hear: you're going to make each other better. You're going to keep challenging each other. You're going to bring new ideas, concepts, thoughts, creativity to the process, and you're just going to continue to raise the level of of what you're doing, right? Absolutely. I'll tell you what: on a sunny day, on a rainy day like it is today, this is a this is a phenomenal setting just to come out and enjoy wine. Absolutely. I mean, I know, look. I know not everybody now is going to have a chance to sit down on your back porch underneath the metal roof and just talk wine with you guys. (laughs) But you get to have your own personal experience and do this. And this is just a wonderful setting. This is great. 
for doing tonight. We wish you the best of luck. We're we are. This is this has been better than we can expect. You guys are awesome. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. We're big so fans, much. and 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 I say that in respect for how hard you're working, the the leap you're taking, the challenges that you're overcoming. Because starting a winery is not easy, but. It's going to be rewarding for you guys. Absolutely. So thanks so much for being on the podcast. And can't wait to try more wine. Appreciate it. Cellar Beast Wine House. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers.